Good morning again. <clears throat> How are we? Good. That's great. Like Trevor said, I'm, my voice is struggling a bit this morning. You can probably hear it. I lost my voice completely. I was squeaking and squawking like a, a kid in puberty over the last couple of days. And my, my kids thought it was so funny. They would tell me a joke that the punchline is what is a, essentially like howl like a wolf. They would try to get me to howl like a wolf, and then I would try to howl like a wolf, but I didn't have any vocal cords or ability to do that. So it was just this giant whisper, and they thought it was so, so, so funny. Um, we are landing the plane in, uh, in Galatians, in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia this morning. And so uh, I want you to open uh, your Bibles or the black Bibles around the room. It's on page 916. I would encourage you to interact with God's Word, to hold it open in your lap. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't own the Scriptures, I would love for you, we as a church would love for you to take that Bible that you're holding home with you, as long as it's not somebody else's, as long as it's the black one uh, on one of the seats in the room. That's our gift to you. No strings attached whatsoever. I'm going to read <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, and then from there we are just going to dive in this morning. This is God's Word. Brothers, if anyone, that's also brothers and sisters. It's a word that signifies siblings in a family. So I'm going to read brothers and sisters. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he, dece he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that, will he, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Holy Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you, Paul says, with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only, here's the purpose, and only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. <clears throat> but far be it from me, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what counts, that we are new creations. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, Paul writes. The grace, the unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is God's word. Father, would you speak? Would you make your word clear to us? <clears throat> would you strengthen my voice and ability to communicate in the present moment? We love you and we're thankful for the people to our right and to our left, across the aisle, behind us and before, the people that you have brought us together in this local expression of your church. I thank you for all of life. I thank you for what you've done in 2019. 
Thank you for what you are leading us toward and into in 2020. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. This uh, first section, uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 5, is really about how we treat one another when we fall short. How to treat, how Christians are to treat one another when we fall short. And I'm going to lay my cards on the table uh, this morning. This verse drives how I believe that gospel ministry ought to feel. Galatians 6, 1 in particular drives how I believe that gospel ministry ought to feel. I would love, it would be my desire to see Galatians 6.1 churches planted everywhere, planted across the inland northwest, across the street, uh, in our region beyond the nations. I would love to see Galatians 6.1 churches. That is to say, churches that are relating to one another in the spirit of Galatians 6.1. This is the summary for how I've tried to go about pastoring and how I've tried to go about planting our church. And many of you have felt this spirit of gentleness and you have commented on it, that it has been a refreshment to you as you, as you have experienced a spirit of gentleness, not only for me, but for those who call all of life church home. And I want to say this, that, that I have not invented this, that it's not even necessarily part of my personality or skill set. I value you gentleness, but I am one of the most harsh people that I know. When you look into the four walls of my home or the relationships where I am most close with other human beings, what you will see oftentimes is a harsh husband, a harsh father who is continually walking in apology before my wife and before my children because I regularly fall short. I am not a gentle man. I tend to be a harsh man. And I have pursued in my own home, and I have pursued in our church family, a culture of gentleness and of graciousness, not because of my personality, but from an awareness of Galatians 6.1. When this verse dawned on my radar, it began to reshape the way I related to people, the way I related to you and my as well. And it hasn't always gone down this way in our church, obviously, because I just admitted that I often don't have my act together, and I certainly don't necessarily get it. This, the desire for a Galatians 6-1 ministry is actually driven from self and selfish motives oftentimes. Why? Because Galatians 6-1 is how I want to be treated when I fall short. You hear that? You see that in your own life. There's, in, in a, on a large scale, a case of do unto others as you would have them do unto you going on in my head and heart. This is something that I desire. Jump into the text here in Galatians 6.1. Look at who Paul is addressing. You'll see this word, if you're in the Black Bibles or in an English Standard Version Bible around the room, you'll see this word, brothers, and then next to it, you'll see a little footnote, and then that footnote will direct you down to the number one at the bottom of the page, and it will say or brothers and sisters. It's the Greek word adelphos, and it signifies siblings in a family. So he is writing to brothers and sisters. Who is he writing to? Is he writing to church leaders? Is he writing to pastors? Is he writing to teachers? Yeah, he is, because they're counted among the churches in Galatia. He's speaking to all Christians who have the Spirit of God, who are saved and justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I'll say it a different way. Paul is writing to mature and maturing 
followers of Jesus. He's speaking to all who claim to be spiritual, those who are born again by the Spirit of God and who are keeping in step with the Spirit of God, which is what it means to follow Jesus. We just saw that in Galatians chapter 5 last week and the week before. No one follows the risen Christ without keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Say it a different way, being led by the Holy Spirit is how a person follows Jesus. That is to say, we tune our ears to the Spirit of God who directs us and we follow him step by step, moment by moment, and day by day. Paul is teaching everyday people like the Galatians, everyday people like us, how to go about real, here and now, gritty, on the ground, salt of the earth, gospel ministry that makes much of Jesus. And what he does is he gives us a threefold framework to think through as we try our best to serve up gospel, good news, to others. And that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're doing our best. We're trying our best. We're certainly not perfect. But look at who the Apostle Paul directs us to start with here. Who should we start with? How about anyone? Brothers and sisters, if who? If anyone is caught in any transgression. Look at the text. Anyone, any transgression. So who is that? Let's give some categories of people. I'm going to start small. How about serial killers? Right, that escalated quickly. Do they qualify as anyone by the definition of the word anyone here? Any transgression? Would that include the systematic murder of other individuals? Potentially. Yes. What about enemy soldiers? who seek to overthrow our nation, kill our brothers and sisters? What about TV preachers, people who are hawking the word of God on television to profit themselves? What about left lane drivers on the freeway? I know, right? I kid. I kid on that one, for sure. What about the person who cheats tests and lies about inconsequential things? That anyone, that any transgression? What about the person who gets drunk and parties hard when they think no one is looking? That person? What about the person who can't stop eating in order to bury their troubles and their woes? What about the person who consistently loses their temper and wounds people around them with their words? What about the person who fudges their tax returns because they don't believe that God will provide and so they need a little bit more, a little bit more? little bit more? What about the person who is self-righteous and self-important? They know the, the way. They can diagnose what's wrong with people. If people would just follow their advice, then the world would be okay. What about those folks? What about the person who sleeps with the girlfriend that he claims to love or daily visits the naked ladies on the internet? Maybe it's women who struggle with pornography. Maybe that's you. Is that anyone included in this text? Any is that any transgression included in this text? Yes. That anyone. The gospel is good news for people like us who can't get our act together. It's for misfits like you and I that this verse is in the Bible. God has provided this for misfits like you and I. 
So what do we do? What do we do when somebody stumbles, when somebody falls, when somebody willingly gives themselves to sin, when they're caught in transgression? They've transgressed what is good. They've, they've transgressed what God requires of them. They have all sin is categorized as transgression against God first, and it works itself out as we transgress against our own bodies, against one another. How do we treat them? When someone is caught in sin, what do we do? We personally seek their restoration. We personally seek to bear their load. We aim to see them restored in their relationship to, the, to God. Maybe it's for an unbeliever. Maybe it's for the very first time that we are seeking to see them restored and to know that the risen Christ has set his affection on them and is calling them. Maybe it's for the 50th time or the 500th time. The bottom line, when anyone is caught in any transgression, we who are spiritual should seek their restoration. We should aim for their good. We should advocate for them. We should call them to repentance and dependence upon Jesus Christ. We should seek their flourishing. And how do we go about it according to the Apostle Paul? Should we seek to see them repent? And if they don't, we kick them out of the church. And if they don't, we kick them out of the house. If they don't, we tell people to shun them. Is that what this text says? You who are spiritual, that is you who have the Spirit of God, should seek their restoration in a spirit of what? Say it. You just said that. You know the word. You and I who believe that we, are, have, that we have the Spirit of God should seek the restoration of our brothers and sisters when they fall into sin in a spirit of gentleness. We pursue their restoration in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness, the Apostle Paul has just taught us in chapter 5, verse 23, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is how this person's restoration, mine or yours or somebody else's, should feel to the church, and it's how it should feel to them as well. Gentleness is the feel of a doctor pressing on wounds, carefully looking for broken bones, but being sure not to make another, even though it might feel that way to you as they look. No reasonable person, you and I know this, the person in your seat, knows this for sure. No reasonable person truly wants to be brutalized, truly wants to be ostracized when caught in a major blunder or when suffering due to the folly of their own hand. Nobody wants to be treated like that. Paul, the, writing to the Corinthian church, this church that was completely off the rails, just off the rails, getting drunk on the communion wine. Uh, a dude was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom. I mean, they were off the rails. And the apostle Paul comes to them and he says, shall I, what do you want? What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come to spank you essentially? Or with love, that leading edge of the fruit of the spirit in a spirit of gentleness. That's what he asked the Corinthian church. See, everyone wants to be treated with gentleness, though we may not treat others that way when it's our turn. In his letter to a young pastor, this pastor named Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 or 25, Paul entreats Timothy to correct his opponents, literally his enemies, those who are opposing his ministry. He entreats him to correct them with what? With gentleness. Jesus Christ, when he was calling the weary and the wayward to himself in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, take my yoke upon you. And how did he describe himself? He said, for I am gentle 
is a key attribute of the real Jesus in the flesh. Gentle and humble in heart is how he described himself. He describes, he's essentially saying to people, I know that you are bruised. Come to me and I will not break you. Spiritual Christians lead with the hope that God will intervene and will grant a person repentance and reconciliation with God. And Paul also instructs the Galatians right here to keep their wits about them, understanding that the devil is wily, and they too can slip into the teeth of his trap like the very brother or sister that they are desiring to see restored. So gospel ministry should feel to the wayward as often as it is possible like their burdens are being carried. That's what good news ministry, that's what a ministry in the name of Jesus Christ should feel like to the wayward. What does it mean then to bear someone's burdens? It means that we lessen the weight of their load. How do we do that? By taking a portion of it onto ourselves. That's how to bear the burden of a person around you. For example, somebody is carrying a hundred pound burden and you desire, you walk up to them and desire to help. Maybe they're not carrying it. It's crushing them. Think of it like a couch. You can't carry the thing all by yourself and you walk up to them and you pick up one end and they pick up one end. How much are they carrying and how much are you, are you carrying if you just split the math right in the middle? You're carrying now 50 pounds and they're carrying 50 pounds. To bear someone's burden means by definition that you and I have to take the burden on ourselves too. It costs us to fulfill the law of Christ. It costs us to bear the burdens of the people around us. To bear a person's burdens is to live in proximity to that person. It's to live in community with that person. And community is the place where followers of Jesus live out the one another's, that Jesus has commanded us to live out. It's where we fulfill the second part of the great commandment. <clears throat> if you remember the great commandment, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus quoted it from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. With what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second part of the great commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, uh, in Galatians 4, 14 says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Through the love of God, we serve one another. To serve the people around you by taking their, a portion of their burdens upon yourself is to live, get this, hear this, is to live as freely, it's to live as heartily, and it's to live with as much satisfaction as is humanly possible. You and I know that when we hole up, ostracize community in the service of protecting ourselves and we hoard our possessions to ourselves, it leaves us wanting more, does it not? Jesus said that we're in the season of Christmas. Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. Think about how it feels to receive gifts. We love that. For the most materialistic person in the room, it feels wonderful. I am one of you. It feels wonderful to receive gifts and it feels better to give them and to see a person's eyes light up, does it not? This is the right side up way of God's kingdom. 
Paul cautions the Galatians to live self-aware, to understand their temptations, to understand their weaknesses, to keep a watch on themselves. And their counsel is our counsel as well. It's great if a guy wants to help free women from the sex industry. But if he himself struggles with addiction to these things, he is not the man for the job. Wisdom says that if this is what God is calling you to, you go and you find someone who can stand in your place and you pray for them. And in this way, you listen to the Spirit of God and you fulfill what he is asking you to do, but you keep a watch over your own soul, understanding that you are nothing and that you can slip and I can slip at any moment so that you can be active, you can be responsive to what the Holy Spirit is asking of you, but you're living in wisdom and you're living in consideration of your own soul and in the gaps in your own armor due to your humanity. To think that he's the man for the job is to esteem himself too highly. And you just put yourself into the scenario, whatever it is that you struggle with, you should not be the one bum-rushing to that zone when you know that those temptations can quickly overcome you. Yet if you have a sense and a call to minister to people who also struggle with the things that you struggle with, you should be very, very, very wise and careful in how you go about seeking to help them, keeping a watch over your own heart. Verse 3, as well, is in the Bible for all of us. We're prone to conceit. We're prone to pride. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And so as a church, as the people of Jesus, we need to, we need to uh, remain... <clears throat> sorry. When we understand that where we're harboring pride, uh, we need to understand that self-deception, that blindness lies close at hand. In this case, for the Galatians, they've been infiltrated by false teachers. Deception is not coming from the outside by false teachers. It's actually coming from the inside, from an evil, unbelieving heart. So the word from Paul to the church is, keep watch over your soul, church. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. You're not that important. And if you're caught in sin, and you won't seek the help that you know you need or that people around you are telling you that you need. You won't seek it. You will be disciplined, either by God or by his people. Either you'll remove yourself from the family of God just based on your own folly, or strong leadership will remove you. And it'll be for your sake that you would be cut to the heart, that you would repent, that you would place your dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would follow him thought by thought, moment by moment, as you start to display humility and walk in repentance, the people of God with open arms will come around you to seek your restoration in a spirit of gentleness. The best case scenario for every single person to take in keeping step with the Spirit is to not worry about what others are doing or what others are up to to think about yourself, to consider yourself. We see this at the end of John's gospel where Jesus is talking to Peter and he's describing for Peter um, how Peter, he's actually prophesying to him how Peter's life is likely going to end. That he is going to be led where he doesn't want to go and he is going to be bound and it's not going to go well for him. And Peter kind of as a means of deflection goes, he looks and he sees the apostle John and he's like, Jesus, but what about him? 
And Jesus, what does he essentially say to Peter? He says, don't worry about him. You worry about you, Pete. Like, you worry about you. What we often do when the mirror is shined on ourselves and we're seeing our own heart is we'll get wily and we'll get slippery and we'll say, like, well, what about them? And we will deflect the mirror of the gospel away from our own hearts. One of the primary ways that we can walk by the Holy Spirit and tune our ears to his voice is to be vulnerable and honest about who we really are with him. Note here, the words for load and burden, they're different words in Galatians 6, 2, and then also in 6, 5. Bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. And then in 6, 5, each person is going to have to bear his own load. John Stott says this, there's no contradiction here between verse 2, bearing burdens, and verse 5, bearing his own load. The Greek words are different. Burden, what it means is to bear a heavy weight, and load means a portion. It's actually the Greek word uh, that, w- that was commonly used to signify a rucksack or a man's pack. So Stott says, we're to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, we do not need to because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. Each person will have to bear his own portion. Gospel ministry at its heart should feel like good news to our recipients, like a friend has come to help you carry the other end of your crushing load. You may not want them there. You may be embarrassed at the fact that your burden has been exposed and that they are there, but know this, church, they are there. They are alongside you to help you. The Pharisees, the Judaizers, these people who had come into these Galatian churches teaching them to believe in Jesus Christ, but also to keep the whole law. They were coming into these Galatian churches not to bear burdens. They were coming in to add to the Galatian Christians' burdens. In effect, they were walking up to them saying, hey, that looks heavy, and then sitting down on it. That's what it was like. That's what they were doing. So hear this. The mature and the maturing Christian seeks the restoration of their obviously wayward brothers and sisters with truth and in a spirit of gentleness. We always use God's truth as a surgeon's scalpel and not as a soldier's sword. You see the difference. Ask yourself the question, how do you wield the truth? A surgeon uses a scalpel to cut, yes, but for the purpose of healing. A soldier, how does a soldier wield a sword? It's for the purpose of destruction. We wield the truth of God's word as a surgeon would use a scalpel and a spirit of gentleness with the aim of restoration, not destruction. That is how gospel ministry should feel to those who are doing the ministering, to the whole church, and to those who are being ministered to. And then as Paul closes out his letter in Galatians, In verses 6 through 10, he kind of, it's like, it's almost like the scroll or the parchment here. He just recognized like he's been really wordy in chapters 1 through 5. And now he's got to land the plane because he's running out of parchment. And so he's just kind of like, he's giving these Galatians some quick proverbial instructions, some warnings here, some best practices, and some encouragement. Verse 6, he says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. He's essentially saying he's instructing the church to support its teachers materially, with food, with money, with whatever good things are key word here, appropriate. 
Paul is advocating for the faithful church uh, teachers among them to be honored and to be cared for well. And then in verse 7, he kind of shifts gears a, get, a, a bit here, and he says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Don't trifle with the living God, is what he's saying here. He's generous. He's just. He's kind. He's deadly. Take him seriously. God will not be made to be your fool. What you feast on, you will and I will realize. Verse 8, for the one who sows or invests in his own flesh, who plants to his own flesh. You can see about the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 5. That person who is investing in those things will from your own, my own flesh, reap corruption. But the one who sows or plants, invests to the Holy Spirit, will from the Spirit of God reap eternal life. The one who lives and serves the Holy Spirit as an act of worship will continue to reap the benefits of a life lived alongside the Spirit, which will well up, and I think that's what Paul is getting at here, which will well up to eternal life with Christ and his church. And then in verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He's saying, let us not live for results and satisfaction only in the here and now, but let us, may we take a long view of our life and our walk with God and our relationships with other people. Let's consider who and what. It's the risen Christ that we're working for and keep our hands to the plow. See, he's using agrarian language, agricultural language here. If the farmer quits, the farmer won't reap a harvest, and therefore the farmer and those that he is entrusted with will starve. But if the farmer continues the work of preparing the soil, of planting the seed, of watering it, of protecting it against things that might come to eat on it and destroy it before its time, he and many more will feed on the harvest. Essentially, the quitting of good work is the devil's work. He who knows the good, or she who knows the good that she ought to do and does not do it, the scriptures say, sins. Let us not grow weary of doing good, of bearing burdens, of carrying other people's loads. In due season, we know it's heavy. We will reap. Do not quit. Do not quit. Do not quit. Verse 10. <clears throat> So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Keeping in step with the Spirit means we keep our eyes awakened and alert to opportunity. The fruit of the Spirit brings good to us and through us to everyone that we encounter. So let's be mindful to serve and to love one another as we serve and love those outside of our community of disciples as well. I know personally, uh, Meredith and I are so grateful uh, for you and for the ways that you have served us. She's broken her foot. Many of you have brought us meals. Many of you have rallied together to have our house cleaned and gift cards for her just to bless her soul as she's in a really rough time while she can't put any weight on that for a couple of months. And so you have served us so well and just doing good to us, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so from my family to yours, we thank you, church, for serving us and for following Christ in the way you have. Verses 11 through 18. <clears throat> this is Paul's final admonition here. This is what he is getting at. He's getting at this. Keep Christ and his cross at the center. That's the summary of 11 through 18 right here. And this is a word for you and I to be mindful of. Keep Christ and his cross at the center of 
your life. Not your performance, but Jesus's performance. Not your attempts at perfection, but his are now yours. We receive life with God all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we receive justification. That is to say we are counted righteous through faith in Christ. We receive adoption. Once rebels, once enemies, now family, now citizens of the kingdom. It's by grace. We receive the Holy Spirit within us to guide us, to lead us, to protect us, to encourage us, to give us wisdom, to help us see Jesus Christ as the one who has died for us, but not just died for us, lived perfectly in our place. All that is grace, the fact that the Spirit of God lives within us. Our sanctification, the Spirit's ongoing work, making us pure until we meet Jesus face to face. That is the grace of God, all of it, the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing you, I am, I'm writing you to, or, or with, what large letters I'm writing to you with. He likely probably doesn't have great eyesight. He often dictates his letters to the churches through someone who will ascribe, somebody who will write them down with a quill, pen, whatever it is. He's actually writing these words on the page for them, and he wants them to see that it's his ink, it's his love, it's his heart, it's his life that is invested in these words. And Paul says in verse 12 that those who want to make a good showing, it's them who want to make a good showing in their flesh and the way that they keep the law. It's those who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He names their motives here. Their concerns, their ambitions are at the center. They don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ, which Paul has been. So for them to say, we believe in Jesus, but we keep the law, the Jews and the Judaizers, those from Jerusalem, would persecute them if they left the law and worshiped only Jesus Christ. And so it's to save their own skin that they worship Jesus and the law, and they teach from that standpoint that that is the way that a human being is saved or counted righteous in the sight of God. It's more selfish skin saving on their part. And Paul, indirectly in verse 13, he asserts that the false teachers, they don't even keep the law themselves. Why? Because they don't love Christ more than they love themselves. And on that point alone, they violate the law. What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So instead, these Judaizers, these false teachers, they infiltrate the Galatian churches, desiring to use them for their own glory and to use them for their own sense of significance. And in verse 14, this is the summary statement in chapter 6, Paul makes his point. The gospel is the point of his life, and it's the center of his argument. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. <clears throat> the work that Christ that Jesus of Nazareth did on the cross is the very thing that nullifies the law as our path of being counted righteous before God. Jesus Christ himself has fulfilled, kept, overcome the law, and his cross is Paul's one boast. The Galatians aren't even his boast, though he loves them like his own children. His boast is Christ. The one that he brags on and in is Jesus Christ. The Galatians are his children who he longs for, like a mother in childbirth, that Christ would be formed in them. He said that in Galatians chapter 4. 
They are his brothers and sisters. He understands this, and he will share alongside them with, alongside them through faith in Christ. They will share together in the spoils of the risen Christ who has become our death-conquering king. And our boast, church, is whatever it is that we appeal to for worth or whatever it is that we appeal to when the bottom falls out on us. Paul says the glory incentives of this world, fame, money, comfort, the power, the sense of significance, control, whatever it is. These things are dead to the Apostle Paul because he's with Christ, his Lord, at all costs. He's looking at all that Jesus has done for him and spared him from, and he's saying, I'm with him. The world can shove it. The world is of no real influence to the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he's awesome and full of willpower? No, because the Holy Spirit is doing this work and cultivating this in him, the same spirit that lives in you. His mind is stayed on things above. Through his own willpower? No, through the work of the Spirit within him. Christ Jesus, his new master, and he aims to follow him. And Paul says, circumcision, marks in the flesh, keeping the law, that doesn't count. All that counts is that we are new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I believe, or 5.17. If, uh, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. The heart that is new is the heart that will keep in step with the Spirit and not seek to become righteous through the law, but only through faith in Christ. The new heart is the heart whose confidence is Jesus Christ. The last three verses, verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, the Apostle Paul says, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. God's mercy, his peace be upon all who live according to the Holy Spirit, finding our righteousness in Christ. Have I said it enough yet? Rather than through our own efforts to be justified, to be righteous of our own accord through our own effort. Verse 17, For from now on, let no one cause me trouble. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I'm done with these fools. It's like he says, I'm done here even with this foolishness. It's like he knows you'll do what's right. You won't continue serving, swerving rather from the true gospel, but you're going to swerve from this false belief back to true gospel, and you are going to hold on. More than ever, Galatians, it will be your confident boast. What you lean the weight of your life and hope on will be the gospel. And he says, my suffering for the cause of Christ should be evidence enough. I've got the wounds to prove it. He has suffered physically at the hands of Jews, at the hands of Gentiles, at the hands of Romans, at the hands of bandits, at the hands of people all around him for the cause of Christ. Verse 18, the grace that is unmerited favor of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The Spirit of God testifies to our spirits that we are children of God. And therefore, for you and I, for these Galatians, hope is not lost. In fact, hope lives in you and I because the Spirit of God lives within all of those who follow Jesus Christ by faith. And Paul, as he wrote to the Ephesian church, he said the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession 
of our inheritance until we see the Lord Jesus face to face and sin has fully and finally been vanquished and we see him as he is victorious and glorious and worthy of all dominion and majesty forever and ever. Amen. Jesus will finish his work in true believers. And so our call is to keep in step with the faithful Holy Spirit, to keep in step with the faithful Lord Jesus, to keep in step with our faithful Father, and to dwell on our justification through the cross of Christ. And as we do, we will remain faithful to the end, to the very end. Amen. This is Paul's letter to the Galatian churches and to us. Father, Please make this um, notion, this statement, I am justified by faith in Christ alone. Sing in our ears. Sit in our minds. Overcome our hearts when we are condemned by the things that are contrary to God that we have given our hands to, our words to, our thoughts to, our actions to. May we run to the Lord Jesus Christ as our justifier, as the one who continually forgives. And may our confident boast be his cross, is my righteousness, his life for my life. He has paid it all. And so it's finished. Help us to believe and to live our life from this functional place. In Jesus' name, amen.